in focusing on friendship and how scripture presents that to us this morning i'd like you to hear these words from john chapter 15. as the father has loved me so i have loved you abide in my love if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love just as i have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love i have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that my joy may be complete this is my commandment that you love one another as i have loved you no one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends you are my friends if you do what i command you i do not call you servants any longer because a servant does not know what the master is doing but i have called you friends because i have made known to you everything that i have heard from my father you did not choose me but i chose you and i appointed you to go and bear fruit fruit that will last so that the father will give you whatever you ask of him in my name i am giving you these commands that you may love one another so pastor john and i are friends in ministry we are colleagues we've known each other for about three years now and potentially i look familiar to you if i don't that's okay but I have worshipped here before, my husband and daughter more often than I have, but we are owners of a travel trailer and we like to camp in Lancaster County and when we're here on a weekend, we often come to worship with you. So we may be vaguely familiar in that respect. But I will also say in addition to that, not only is it the convenience of worshipping with you, you're a genuinely welcoming congregation. So thank you again for welcoming myself and my family back this morning. This morning we are continuing our discussion of friendship. So John has been preaching through different ways that friendship manifests, manifests itself in scripture. Today, we'll be doing a reading from the Old Testament focused on the friendship partnership of the brothers Moses and Aaron. So this morning, I'll be sharing with you from Exodus chapter four. Hear the story of friendship. Then Moses answered, but suppose they do not believe me or listen to me, but say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to Moses, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And the Lord said, throw it on the ground. So he threw the staff on the ground and it became a snake and Moses drew back from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and seize it by the tail. So he reached out his hand and grasped it and it became a staff in his hand so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of our ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to Moses, put your hand inside your cloak. He put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, his hand was leprous, as white as snow. Then God said, put your hand back into your cloak. So he put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his body. If they will not believe you or heed the first sign, they may believe the second sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or heed you, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I have never been eloquent neither in the past nor even now that you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. 
Then the Lord said to him, Who gives speech to mortals? Who makes them mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will be your mouth and teach you what to speak. But Moses said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, What of your brother Aaron the Levite? I know that he can speak fluently. Even now he is coming to meet you. And when he sees you, his heart will be glad. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you what you shall do. He indeed shall speak for you to the people. He shall serve as a mouth for you and you shall serve as a God for him. Please join me in prayer. God, as we seek to hear your voice speak this morning, allow the proclamation of scripture to speak to us in ways that challenge us, hold us accountable, and encourage us to move forward. Guide us now to understand the partnership that it can be to be a friend following the Lord's plans. Amen. So I mentioned to you earlier that John and I are friends. Pastor John and I met here as he was preaching and I was a visitor. And then in this last year and a half when the world has changed a bit and we are doing things more technology based, I've been engaged in several clergy fellowship groups that are trying to figure out the new way of being church. I serve a congregation of less than 65 members just two blocks out of Philadelphia County or in the Philly suburbs and that's where John is preaching this morning to my congregation outdoors. We've been worshiping outside on our campus more often than not over the last year and a half, embracing the gift of having land and a space and the comfort of bringing your own chairs to sit in the parking lot and worship and fellowship together. And in this going back and forth of figuring out what church will look like, many of my colleagues and I have engaged in a monthly fellowship call to sign us check in, pray for one another, see what our churches and ministries are doing. And I called into one of these calls about 15 months ago and saw a familiar face, Reverend John Hartman. I was like, I know that guy. I worshiped at his church when I was on vacation one summer. He looks familiar. So we re-engaged that friendship, reconnected. And even a couple months ago when my husband and daughter and I were out here, he took me out to breakfast and we reconnected yet again. And then had this idea, you know what, I've worshiped with you. I understand, kind of like I look out there, this is chestnut level and what your congregation is. So when John talks about you and his love and ministry with you, I can put faces and names together and spaces together. But John had never worshiped with my church family, with my community. So we decided one Sunday we'll swap. Now, after agreeing to that, I realized you have two services that I have one. <laughs> Yours starts at 8 a.m., mine's at 1030. Um, I have a worship assistant. All John's doing is preaching this morning. You know, all of these things. But what a wonderful gift to share this time and space and community as we worship together and reflect on that gift. Now, my husband and daughter do worship with you more frequently than I. I work on Sundays, so I'm not always able to take the weekend off and go camping like they are. But again, this amazing welcome that has now led to a friendship that John and I share. And it's a friendship that's not unique to the two of us as clergy. When you are ordained a Presbyterian minister, elder, or deacon, you take ordination vows. And one of the vows, something that you promise to do, is to be a friend among your colleagues in ministry. And that friendship can look very different in different times of your career and in different locations. The Presbyterian world is very tiny. So I have discovered even in these calls that include pastors from across the Eastern seaboard, there's many familiar faces and names, congregations and places that I have crossed paths with in my ministry. But now as John and I have connected 
and shared ideas and kind of a sounding board, there's a different kind of safe space when two clergy can talk with each other. I certainly am friendly with my parishioners as John is friendly with you. But there's a different kind of friendship when someone has the same vocational call as you do. So I appreciate John's friendship. I appreciate that, although this morning a little different because I'm in the pulpit, but when my husband and daughter are here, they get to hear someone else preach. They hear John, not their wife or their mother, which is also another gift to my family. And it expands kind of this friendship understanding as we talk with our other colleagues at this time that's been very vulnerable and we're all trying to make the best decision and use these kind of unprecedented new normal, whatever buzzword you want to use for what ministry will look like in the future. So then, kind of serendipitously, when John and I decided to switch dates, he said, you know what, I'm doing a sermon series on friendship. I said, okay, I guess God wants to talk about friends a lot. And so now here on this third week, I will tell you this morning that I am preaching what John would have preached to you as far as the scripture passage. I wrote the sermon, but it's a scripture that he would have done in his series, continuing this series on friendship. And today, focus on this partnership between Moses and Aaron. Now, as we read this passage from scripture in Exodus, I hope you notice how kind of fearful and hesitant, how doubt-filled Moses is. Moses is approached by God to lead God's people out of bondage. We have the gift of hindsight. We know it all works out in the end. But at this point, he has no idea what the future holds. And he doubts himself. And he has some really good reasons to doubt himself. We know Moses was plucked from the river as a baby and saved, adopted into Pharaoh's family. Moses has been raised in a household that is ethnically and religiously and linguistically different than him. He's been raised as this kind of adopted stepchild that didn't quite fit in, but raised to this prominence of royalty while watching all the people he is biologically related to be enslaved. And now he's at this point where he would probably assume a royal role as an adult, some sort of prominence in the Pharaoh's household. And instead, God has called him to exactly push against that establishment, to push against Pharaoh and free the Hebrew people. So not only is that extremely uncomfortable and exactly the opposite of the way he's been raised his entire life, but Moses doesn't have any self-confidence that he could pull that off. So he pushes it back against God and says, I can't do this. Find somebody else. And God offers multiple signs and wonders to try to give Moses the confidence he needs. You know, turn your staff into a snake and back again. Put your hand inside your cloak. It's sick. Now take it out and it's healed. Take this water and turn it into blood. These signs and wonders, these will prove to the people that you are a legitimate God-ordained leader for them. Even after the powerful, miraculous three signs and wonders he has to show off, Moses still says to God, you sure you don't have somebody else? I'm really not sure I'm the right person. He says, I'm slow to talk. I'm slow of tongue. I'm not, not fluent enough to do this. I'm not a good public speaker. And that could be understood because the Hebrew people speak a different language than Pharaoh's royal family. Moses has been raised speaking a language that is not his mother tongue in a community and culture that is different than his origin culture. And now he's being asked to somehow translate between those two, be the go-between, the mediator, between the Hebrew people, their language, their faith, their community, and Pharaoh's household. And Moses says, I can't do that. You know, differences aside with language and public speaking, he said, I just, I can't get the words to come from my brain to my mouth and come out correctly. Find someone else. 
And God now gets a little bit annoyed. Scripture tells us God has this anger kindled within God's self of, wait a second, Moses. This is God's plan. Who are you to tell God he has the wrong guy at the wrong place at the wrong time? God knows what God's doing. So God pushes back against Moses and says, no, I gave you signs and wonders. You can prove to the people that you are representing the true God. And then God says, Moses, I've called you specifically because of your unique situation, this weird in-between place you are by being part of Pharaoh's household, but really part of the Hebrew people. That's a special calling. That makes you unique, and you're the person for the job. And then God says, you know what? Your brother Aaron, Aaron the Levite, who we know, if we read into Scripture, becomes the leader of all the priests that were bringing over the Hebrew people in the Promised Land. Aaron's not perfect, and his life won't play out perfectly, but he is called and ordained to this religious leadership role. God says to Moses, Aaron will be your partner in this endeavor. God says, I'll speak to you, Moses. And then you take whatever word I deliver to you, and you discuss it with Aaron, and Aaron will disseminate it to the people. He'll relay it to the people. So God will speak through Moses, and then Aaron will basically digest and translate and make sure the people absorb what God's message is. That sounds like a pretty even partnership. They both have a distinct role and a calling. But up to this point in their lives, Moses and Aaron have been biological brothers, but absent from each other. They're called into this partnership with basically no pre-existing relationship. They don't know one another. They are not friends. They are called by God for a purpose and a goal, a specific mission to partner with each other, to balance their strengths and weaknesses, to be successful, But we have to realize, as these two men approach each other, they're coming from very different backgrounds. I can imagine Aaron maybe not being too willing to participate in this. Aaron saying, I've been a slave my whole life. I'm not the baby who was plucked from the river. That was my brother. He got to go live in a palace with royalty. He got to be in charge of everything, be well-fed, well-educated, adorned with jewels and wonderful clothing. And Aaron says, I, as the brother, was stuck being a slave. I didn't get any of those benefits. I didn't get any of that great education or food or wealth or power. But now God's going to say, the two of you have to work together. The two of you who are biological brothers but have really no kinship feelings, the two of you who can be any more different than one another, the two of you together are the duo that God needs to fulfill this plan. Now you think of these people being so different. He had cast on this amazing, human history-changing adventure that God has for them. And we read ahead and we know it turns out well. The people are free. They end up in the promised land. Praise be to God. This comes out the way God intended. But up until this point, I can imagine a lot of friction between Aaron and Moses at this proposition of having to work together. They are polar opposites as far as their upbringing their power, their capabilities. And now they've been partnered to work together on God's behalf. The congregation that I serve is smaller than yours. We have about 63 official members. But the good thing is they all show up like it's a legit list. (laughs) I know all of them. And I was impressed when I came to that congregation about eight years ago about the genuine relationships they have with another. They're really good friends. They walk their dogs together. They go on like vacations together. Their kids are each other's bridesmaids and weddings. They really like each other. 
And so when my family became part of that congregation in ministry, we were absorbed into that. And it's a big asset for our congregation. That's what we celebrate. Our congregation, when I'm celebrating it to others and sharing like I am now, I don't lift up our finances or our buildings or even our worship life together. I lift up the fact that the people there like each other. They're really good friends. And I point out that on Sunday mornings when I ask for prayer requests, someone may lift up that someone had a baby or is in the hospital or something. And I, as the pastor, do my due diligence and follow up on Sunday afternoon. But inevitably, on the third or fourth phone call or visit I make, someone says, well, you know, pastor, you should have called me first. Four other parishioners already called to talk to me about this and pray. Like, they got ahead of me. They're eager to really be Christian friends with one another. And that impresses me. So when I read scripture about friendship, I try to then connect, well, what's happening in the Elkins Park congregation with this passage? And I know Pastor John has talked to you about friendship through affinity. Like, you really like people. That's why you're their friend. Many of our friends we have from childhood are friends like that. We were on the same sports team, or we maybe were in the same club, or we were neighbors and we decided we liked the same kind of games to play. And those friendships grew because of affinity, because of liking the same things and liking each other. Then you have friendships that grow because of family bonds with in-laws or spouses or children and grandchildren because of the circumstance that intertwine. And the passage today, though, is about partnership friendship, about people forced to work together may or may not be related. And we may really not have anything else in common. When I think of the life of our modern church, especially the Presbyterian system with committees, there's this reality of working with people who you may not really be friends with. It doesn't mean they're your enemy. There's often a reality where you would walk in a room and the people around that table are not the individuals you grew up with, not the individuals in your extended family, not the people you play sports with, not the people who enjoy the same restaurants as you do, maybe not the same generation. And if you were in the real world socializing, the people around that committee table may not be the people you chose to be friends with. In the life and ministry of the church, we do this partnering all the time. We say around this table, with a common goal in ministry, we are going to be friends. We are going to be colleagues in ministry, we are going to behave in a way that shows respect and work together for this common goal on behalf of our church. Moses and Aaron had to put aside the fact that they were raised in different households at the two extreme different ends of affluency and power and comfort. And now God has partnered them together and said, you are different people. You have different skills and gifts. In fact, Aaron and Moses, you might not even really like each other, but you have this common goal of freeing God's people from bondage, and together you can succeed in doing that. So I say to my congregation all the time, sometimes they're a little bit too friendly. Sometimes when we have committee meetings, it's hard to stay on topic because we are chit-chatting about all the details of life because we really like each other. And other times in churches and churches I have served, you sit in the committee and the people are just so different, so diverse, it just seems so hard to kind of connect you have trouble staying on topic as well. This call from Moses and Aaron that God places upon them is to try to find themselves somewhere in the middle. Get along well enough that you can function and you can move forward and you can succeed. But the end result, the end goal of this partnership is not to be holding hands and skipping and being the best friends in the world. The outcome of this partnership is to fulfill God's plan. And when God's plan is fulfilled, 
you will be championed and celebrated as we still do today, thousands of years later, as these great partners and leaders, as Moses and Aaron working together. But you do not have to go on and be best friends forever. So my encouragement to you and to all of the colleagues that I work with in ministry is that as we work with congregations made up of, guess what, people who are different and come from different backgrounds, many of us have been blessed, as your congregation and my congregation has, with real genuine friendships because of our ministry together. At the same time, though, many ministries at different times in their life cycle may have those who partner together to serve God and to succeed. And when that partnership is over, those individuals may part ways socially, but the goal in the name of Christ has still been accomplished. So I would encourage you to look at Moses and Aaron in those times when you may find someone difficult, either in the life of your church, maybe in a committee you serve outside the life of the church, maybe in the dynamics of your workplace, when you have to partner with someone who is not your close friend, to be aware that the goal to partner together to succeed is to focus on what God is calling you to do. And to realize in the end, you'll celebrate that accomplishment together. The different ways we understand friendship in scripture are so dynamic and broad and different because of all the different and dynamic ways that we are friends. John and I have become friends, colleagues in ministry. Thankfully, we also get along and can work together on different goals. But I would admit to you, there are people within my presbytery who I work with who probably would not want to be my social friend for whatever reason. But we work together to accomplish goals in the name of Christ for our individual congregations, for a larger network of churches, for mission locally and around the world. So as this congregation moves forward after a year that's been very different, as you start to reconnect and focus on projects for the future, my encouragement to you, the encouragement we have from scripture, is to partner in ways that are goal-focused, to partner in ways that ensure that everyone at the table understands that our mission and ministry and purpose is to share the good news of Christ. How can we do that together? And when that partnership comes to an end, the result may be a new friendship. But if it's not, the result is still to say, wow, we gave glory to God in working together despite our differences to ensure that our partnership truly fulfilled what God was calling us to do. Please join me in prayer. Creator God, you call each one of us, you gift us, you equip us, you make us the people we are. We thank you that we are all made in your image and when you call us together that we see the face of Christ in one another. Continue to guard us, guard our hearts against jealousy, brokenness, sin, the things that could separate us. Continue to open us to new relationships and allow us to hear your voice and feel the stirring of your spirit. Lord, as we work together to follow and pursue the goal of sharing the good news with all people, guide us to partner in service with one another to ensure that every person in every place has the opportunity to hear the good news and to witness the love of Christ through our personal testimony. We ask this all giving thanks in the name of our risen Lord. Amen.